listed there in your bulletin. So let us continue in prayer for one another. And let us revisit a text that we were looking at two weeks ago. I appreciate all the kind things that you've said about our family's visit. Our son Joe's sermon last week. We had a wonderful week with family. They all left us on Friday, and so Kathy and I are going through the grief process. <laughs> Our dog Ginger is doing her best to counsel with us and help us. <laughs> Appreciate your prayers in regard to all of that and the kind things you've said. But now let's look together again at Luke chapter 8 and just briefly consider an aspect of this passage in verses 40 through 56 that I didn't really have time to touch on but which has profound significance in the ministry of our Lord Jesus and indeed for all of us in all times. Luke 8, beginning with verse 40, hear the word of God. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep. For she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So may the Lord bless this reading of his word. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word which is preached to you. It is the gospel. Contamination. It is something that we all have to deal with. Historically, there are a number of famous events that are told by historians. I think of one, for example, 1858. The great swill milk contamination in New York City. They were feeding leftover whiskey mash to cattle that were staged in narrow stalls. Those cattle would eat the mash and give forth milk. And in order to be able to bolster things somewhat, the 
company in charge of this operation would uh, put in the milk all kinds of things, from rotten eggs to plaster of Paris to molasses and a number of other things that I won't mention that uh, caused the milk to be, well, less than palatable, let's say, and they called it swill. It was a great controversy at the time and had to be dealt with. And there are a number of other things, too, that remind us that we ought to give thanks for the fact that we have something called the Federal Food and Drug Administration to make sure that our food supply chain is, well, at least better than that. I know that when we were working at my Papa Winchester's place, my great-grandfather's property, after he had passed away, we grew tobacco there. And there was a spring just over the top of the hill and down in what we call the swamp area. And it gave forth good, cool water. But it had to be cleaned out early in the day so that we could drink it by lunchtime. And so I would go down there, usually my job, to scoop out all the silt. And it would all be muddied up. But as that spring would flow, by 12 o'clock, I had a good, cool source of water. And I would climb down there and drink from it. And I was very thankful. But I wouldn't have drunk it before that. Waited for everything to settle out and for the clean water to take on its pure state. Yes, pollution and contamination are a part of our lives. But how we fail to reckon with the fact that pollution and contamination are a part of our lives spiritually. That ever since the moment that our parents sinned and ushered this world into this state of fallenness so that we're still dealing with the effects of sin and the way in which it has impacted everything, that we don't often consider the fact that, spiritually speaking, we are polluted, contaminated, or otherwise declared to be unclean in the presence of God. Because we have de-emphasized the holiness of God, we have also de-emphasized our own sinfulness. And so we have, uh, we, we have placed God at a lower place than He should be, and we've elevated ourselves in the meantime. And yet, when we look at things accurately, when we look at things from the standpoint of God's Word, we realize, no, no. God is exalted and He is altogether holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we are impacted and infected and polluted and contaminated with sin. Every aspect of our being, from the way that we think to the way that we act and speak, all of us are affected. And we see that in this passage, though it may not be readily apparent to us. If you read the book of Leviticus, and many people are loath to do that, how many many times people have started to read through the Bible all the way through and then get to a place like Leviticus with all of those minute details that, that instruct in the way that sacrifices were to be offered and the reason for those sacrifices and all of the number of times that you read the word unclean there. And it can become rather tedious for us. But that part of the law of God, that ceremonial part of God's law, which we are no longer obligated to keep. Remember, the moral law remains in effect, as summarized in the Ten Commandments, as you've been looking at in Sunday school. The ceremonial law is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. The civil law for Israel is no longer obligatory to us, so that we can learn much from all of those. That ceremonial aspect which spoke of uncleanness seems remote to us and unimportant. And yet, it was of supreme significance in the day of the Lord Jesus. Such that, when we read about a woman who had this issue of blood and that it had been going on for 12 years, that dear soul 
that dear soul was excluded from her community. Not only would she not have been allowed to worship with others, remember, first of all, she was a woman. That relegated her to a low position in society to start with. But then this condition that she had meant that she was unclean. She was never clean and able to be able to be a part of the community. So she would have been ostracized by her community, by her family. Scholars tell us that she may have never married, but had she been married, in all probability she was at this point in life divorced from her husband so that she had no one. She was cut off from people. And yet here she was in this crowd. Listen, this is such an issue that teachers of the law would not even have gotten close to her lest they accidentally touch her and accidentally become unclean. In fact, teachers of the law typically didn't touch women at all lest they become accidentally unclean. I'm not making this up. This is the actual cultural reality in that day. To make the point as profoundly as I can that when she reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, she wasn't just committing a faux pas. I know I don't speak French well and I probably just butchered those words, but I wanted to impress you that I at least knew about them. She wasn't just committing a cultural no-no. She was, by virtue of touching him, running the risk of rendering the Lord Jesus himself unclean, contaminated and polluted. It would have been the case with anyone else. Anyone else on the face of the earth would have been deemed unclean for at least the rest of that day because of what is stated in God's law in Leviticus chapter 15. She was in a perpetual state of impurity. Her sickness was socially devastating. And by touching him, she was committing that, that act that would have rendered him unclean. Though her condition was not contagious, she could not infect others. She could contaminate others. And in one of the great miracles recorded for us in Scripture, not only was the Lord Christ not rendered unclean, she was in fact made well and was made clean herself. No one else could have done that. There was no rabbi on earth that possessed that kind of authority and that kind of power. Four times in verses 44 to 47, we read the word touch or to touch as rendered from the Greek. Luke is emphasizing that for us. She touched him. Do you see why he mentions that? Early readers of this gospel narrative, especially those who were Jewish, might well have gasped when they heard this read aloud in their place of worship. She did what? <gasps> and yet, instead of Christ being made unclean, it worked backwards. You see, when we come to the Lord Jesus, we come with our contamination, with our pollution, with our uncleanness. He removes it from us. And in exchange, we are cleansed. 
by declaring he had been touched and by insisting that she identify herself, Jesus was willing that the crowd recognize him and ran the risk of being declared by the crowd himself as being unclean. And yet it was important that she declare herself publicly so that he could make clear that it was her faith, it wasn't superstition, it wasn't some, as I said in the sermon a couple of weeks ago, it wasn't by some incantation, some sort of dark magic that she had been rendered well, but no, it was her faith in him as the Son of God, as the great physician that healed her. And not only does he declare her well, how does he call out to her? Daughter. Daughter. He claims her in the most intimate way possible, as a part of family. Now listen, our family's just been here, so all of this is fresh on my mind. You know, when I introduced my son last week, I couldn't lose sight of the fact that it was my son that I was introducing. And our daughter was seated there. And I'm constantly mindful of our son, our daughter, our grandchildren, our daughter-in-law, our son-in-law. Those familial relationships. Today we're celebrating the Lord's Supper. And it makes me think of my cousin that went on to be with the Lord just in the last couple of days, Bobby Dudley. He always called me cuz. Hey, cuz. I don't think I ever heard him call me by my name. He's always cuz. Good bit older than me. And uh, one of my memories is was sitting beside Bobby in our worship service in the balcony of the Hazelwood Presbyterian Church. I had not yet joined the church. I had not made a public profession of my faith. And I was not supposed to take communion. And I have never told this publicly before. But now that he's gone to be with the Lord, I'll tell it. There I was, seated next to my cousin Bobby, up in the balcony. When the tray was passed, he handed it to me and said, Here. I took the bread and I took the cup. And I took a good talking to when I got home from my parents that day after they found out what I had done. But that was part of what the Lord used in my life to motivate me to talk to my pastor about becoming a member of the church. But that was my cousin Bobby. And now he's left us and is with the Lord. His funeral will be this week. Even so, Jesus, Jesus calls us his own. And he referred to her as his daughter. And then to compound it, as I've said, the little girl. The woman had had the issue of blood for 12 years. The girl, 12 years of age, Luke uses that number to tie these two matters together. She also is a female. She also was, in fact, a minor, which gave her virtually no social status at all. And yet he went there. And in terms of endearment, not only did he speak to her, but he took her hand. Another means by which anyone else would have been rendered unclean was touching a corpse. You know how he said she was sleeping? And they said, oh yeah, right, she's dead. And she was. And yet this is the Lord Jesus. He was not rendered unclean by touching her, but rather he imparted life to her. So brothers and sisters, I say all of this to you. Because we come to the table of the Lord Jesus today and we remember that we are the ones contaminated, polluted, and unclean. And on Calvary's cross, as we look to our blessed Savior, 
repenting of our sins and trusting in Him by faith, He takes our contamination and our pollution and we gain in exchange His cleanness. His righteousness imputed to us. We take it so much for granted. We don't even speak in those terms anymore because we take it so much for granted. In comparison to His holiness, what are we apart from the grace of Almighty God but those who are utterly unclean and deserve to be cast out of society and indeed the household of God, counted anything as other than the children of God, but yet through Christ we are cleansed, we are made whole, we are adopted into His family never to be separated from his love. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, bless us, we pray, as those who have been raised from death to life, as those who have been cleansed and washed by the blood of the Lamb. Grant that as we come to the table of our Lord Jesus, we may come rejoicing, recognizing the great cost necessary to effect this work and rejoicing that it is complete. And the one who paid the price ever lives to make intercession for us. And so we pray in his name and ask your blessing. Indeed, in Jesus' name, amen. And so we come to the table of our Lord Jesus, and I emphasize and I always try to, that this is the table of our Lord Jesus. It's not a Presbyterian table. We don't lay claim to it, and thus insist that you be a member of this congregation in order to partake of this supper. What we do ask is what the scriptures require, that when we come to this table, that we come as believers, those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have made a public profession of that faith, and that profession profession having been recognized by other believers. If you are in that number, then I invite you to come to the table and partake of these elements. And I would say to little Patrick who is seating up there in the balcony, if you've not yet made that public profession of faith, then I encourage you to let this supper be an encouragement to you like it was to that little toe-headed boy when he had hair on his head and could be called toe-headed. Let it be a motivation for you to take that step. Come before the session of this church and be admitted as a member, as one who declares openly your faith in the Lord Jesus having repented, having trusted in Him, so that we all may have communion and fellowship together at this table. Come as a believer. Come also as a believer who is confessing sin and acknowledging Listen, we live in a day of great confusion. People won't even admit there is sin today, and when they do admit it, they want to change up the definition to mean things other than what God's Word says. We need to confess sin as it is defined by God and His Word. Plain and simple. So come as a believer who is acknowledging that guilt before the Lord. Listen, none of us comes today perfect. If you think you are, I've got bad news for you. You are not. You are flawed. Glorification has not happened yet. It's coming, but it's not here yet. So come acknowledging your sin and your guilt. Being thankful again that the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ cleanses us of every sin. We have here bread and we have grape juice, the fruit of the vine. These things represent to us the very body and blood of the Lord Jesus. His sacrifice for us. 
on the cross. We are not re-sacrificing him here. We are remembering what he's done for us here, but yet we do acknowledge his very real presence with us. The bread and the juice remain as they are physically. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, but he, by the Holy Spirit, is present with us in this supper, so that as we partake by faith of these elements, very simply done, by taking and eating and drinking, we acknowledge that Christ must be a part of us, that we are in Him, that He is in us, that we are joined in union with Him, and that that is our hope in life and in death, the assurance of all of our salvation. So come recognizing the Lord Jesus, discerning His body, as we are joined to in God's Word. For the Apostle Paul has said, For that which was given to me I delivered to you, that on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread. And having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is given for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it. All of it. For in this way, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. We have a glorious and wonderful privilege to do something that is profoundly simple and yet of the utmost meaning. Let's bow together and pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the bread. We thank you for the cup. We thank you for giving to us this supper that we may share in it together until you come and we share it with you in your Father's kingdom. Lord, grant that we may remember who we were and what we would be apart from you. Grant that we may remember who we are in you, having been forgiven and cleansed and made whole and declared righteous on the basis of our faith in you alone. And Lord, grant that we may look forward to the future with great rejoicing in our hearts to know that ultimately your work on the cross will be fulfilled in a way that is far beyond our ability to describe it or to articulate it in any way. So wonderful, so glorious, and so good. And so for all of that, we thank you. And pray that you will bless as we eat of these ordinary elements that they may be unto us blessed by you to an extraordinary purpose that we may have fellowship and communion with the Lord Jesus Christ himself just as surely as he is here spiritually as he was physically with his disciples on that night hear us for we pray in the name of Jesus Amen I'll ask the elders to come the trays will be passed we partake of these elements, reminding you that on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus gave thanks, as we have just done in his name. He took the bread, and he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I'll ask that as we're served, that each of us will hold the elements until everyone is served, and then we'll eat and drink together.
in remembrance of Him. Bible says some extraordinary things about blood that makes us extraordinarily uncomfortable. But when we remember that God's people in the Old Testament considered that life was in the blood, it affected the way that they handled it. And we know that even from the New Testament, it is the blood of Christ that cleanses us of every sin. And there's a great mystery there, and it's difficult for us to comprehend it. But as we partake of this cup, drinking juice from the grave, we rejoice in knowing that indeed the blood of Jesus washes us and cleanses us. As we've trusted in Him, we can be confident in knowing that our sins are washed away. And so, the Lord Jesus took that cup and He said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for many for the forgiveness, for the remission, for the cleansing of sins. Drink from it, all of you.
Drink from it. All of you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we conclude this meal, this reminder, this experience of grace, we ask you, Lord, to grant that we may long linger around this table that we may long for the day of the appearing of our Lord Jesus, that great gathering when we shall partake of the bread and of the cup, when we will forever live in the light of your glory and the glory of the Lamb, even now as those who have gone on before us, now behold by sight, which we declare by faith. Oh, Father, Granted indeed, by the grace given to us, we may live and persevere even to that day and for eternity. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.